Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. We are all about helping service members navigate through the difficult and challenging experiences that come with serving in the military. Here on Seeds of Triumph, we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Hello, welcome to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. Um, Today, we're going to be talking to one of my friends and associates who I've known for a little bit. Um, We both share common experiences being in the special operations community. His name is Keith. He is a petty officer first class, CTI uh, linguist. So he's been in the Navy for 20 years now um, on his way out to retire. Good for him. Um, and he's just going to come on and share his stories and his experiences uh, in the Navy. Um, so welcome to the show, Keith. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, Des. I'm so excited and happy to be here with you. I'm so happy and proud of you for taking this on and starting to do this to help yourself, but really to help everybody else. Um, yeah, I'm mostly excited just because of that fact that we had this common background and we've kind of dealt with some of this together through the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, I'd love to tell some of my story and, you know, I have a lot of different experiences of things through the years that I've either struggled with or I think that I've triumphed from. So um, to get yeah. started, um, you know, I joined the Navy not really knowing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I was uh, the child of uh, an army a soldier, and he just told me, hey, join the Navy because I want you to get uh, technical training. So I went to boot camp undesignated, and when I got there, they were like, hey, you're way too smart. Uh, You've had some college, pick a job. And they gave me uh, about 10 choices, and I read up on what a master at arms would be, and it sounded cool and tactical. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a a master at all the arms. It's going to be awesome. So Uh, I took that and ended up going to a school and realized when I got there very quickly, oh my God, I'm, I'm a military police officer. Um, which is what I I never really expected. Um, but I did spend 10 years, uh, as a master at arms before eventually cross-rating over to uh, CTI. Um, because at that point I felt like I had succeeded in the community and I was just excited to continue to take advantage of what the Navy can give me. And I wanted to uh, further my personal development and learn a language while also learning um, intelligence skills to be applied later on once I get out. So that's sort of uh, the beginning of mine. But, um, you know, specific to the topic that we, we've talked about a number of times and some of the experience that we feel like that we've had to lean on each other um, through these last couple of years, um, one of the things that I felt like I had to come to terms with very early on within my naval career was, uh, you know, having to make moral choices on the spot as a young patrolman um, without like a ton of cultural knowledge or a ton of training or um, really at sometimes not even having enough information, but having to make some very, very big personal choices. 
So for our listeners, if you're not familiar with what an MA or a master at arms is, it's like military police, um, but that's just what the Navy calls them. So that's um, that's what Keith joined the Navy as initially was like military police. So when he says a young patrolman, um, that's what he means. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. That's one of those unique things to the Navy that we have uh... But yes, it's fundamentally a military police officer. Um, So I found that at times, um, you know, we would have to make decisions on the spot with uh, sailors who have found themselves in some sort of dilemma or bad situation after making bad choices. And, um, you know, we would have to kind of make an assessment as to, like, what was the intent that this individual had whenever they decided to do what they did. One of the things that I started noticing time after time as I would sit these people down and I would go through the processing, um, you know, because you have to question them, get background information, um, file your report, is that many of the people really didn't understand exactly what wrong choice they distinctly that got them to where they were at. Yeah, so I I just kind of noticed that um, a lot of the people that were in trouble and as they're sitting there, you can see them kind of recounting like this, the choices that they made to end up where they were at in front of you in handcuffs. And, um, you know, a lot of times I, I would notice that people felt like somehow, some way um, the, the culture or the institution had let them down. Um, you know, because a lot of times, a lot of the things that we were dealing with is people that were getting drunk and disorderly, um, showing up to either the barracks or showing up to um, someone's residence and everyone's partying. And, <clears throat> you know, everybody's like going hard. Um, and so in a lot of ways, you could kind of see it where they're like trying to make out why is this working out this way? Because that's what we do. We work hard and play hard. Right. So I worked really hard and then I come home and the way that I blow off my steam is I go hard and I party with the boys or the gang or any of this stuff. And, and this just, was while you were an MA. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I would be like, how do you feel that you ended up doing this? And people would almost be resentful in a way of, you know, what had been commonly accepted for them in the way that they just expressed or dealt with their frustrations. Um, And it seemed like they had this dilemma of how they were supposed to deal with uh, the moral choices that are being made daily that guide their life. Now, a lot of people, it was, you know, guys who uh, were working very hard in a particular shop, let's say like um, if they worked in like an air shop. So they're doing maintenance, you know, day in and day out. And then, when they leave, they're they're having all of these frustrations of things like the parts didn't come through, or they had to wait for the paperwork to come through, or they're just grinding out hours. And so, um, what do they do when they're faced with these things that are obviously weighing on them? And why can't they just get their job done? Why can't they just get, you know, why can't they feel good about following through on what? So you're saying that as an MA. Um, you know, early on in the Navy, you had to go out to all these calls and talk to and meet all these different people from various different ratings. Um, 
And a lot of times you were going to them because they, it was like a drunk and disorderly or like there was some uh, partying involved. And you're saying that the reason that a lot of those um, situations that you found yourself in or they found themselves in was because that was their way of kind of decompressing from the stressors that came with, you know, the nature of their job in the military. Am I right? Is that, am I uh, interpreting what yeah, you're saying no, correctly? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's one part okay. of it. You know, um, but, you know, more more of kind of what I'm emphasizing is that they had these things that were frustrating them, but they really didn't have a great outlet for how they were supposed to either talk about it, how they were supposed to deal with it, what they were supposed to be learning. Yeah, definitely from going it, out and drinking and partying is not it's not the way to, to go about it. Drinking, partying, doing all that, getting crazy. That's not a, a good, healthy uh, way to deal with stress. But sometimes that's the easy way. No, 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 no. And that's the and way that, a lot of people and do So it. here in this forum that we have, in this forum of how, how, are we, how are we supposed to get through and succeed and triumph in these trying, you know, situations that we're given? And I can tell you that I would see a lot of them who felt like, you know, they may not have come out and said it, but they're sitting there going, but this is what we're just told to do. This is this is what people do, right? Like, you can't do anything to change the way that the bureaucracy works. You can't do anything. It's the mentality of, like, you can't do anything to really change. So you're saying that the culture at the time, right, from the people around them and maybe their leadership, like that was just the thing to do that was normalized during that time was like, okay, I had a stressful day at work. The way that I'm going to uh, wind down is going to go hang out with my coworkers and party because that's how we're supposed to wind down and deal with our stress. That was like the norm. Yeah, I would say for sure. I mean, um, you know, even within um, – some of the security departments that I was in, that was something that was kind of just promoted, like, oh, it's been a rough day, you know, um, let's go blow it off in this certain way. Um, but, you know, you you have some people who are dealing with um, some very real compromises of what they think their values are, um, and they're struggling with how do I make sense of what just happened? Now, you know, on the one hand, if you're talking about people that are just struggling with the, the bureaucracy of paperwork, that's one thing. But, you know, my experience was that uh, I talked to you before about having shown up to a very distinct domestic dispute. And uh, when I went to help the lady who was suicidal at the time, you know, when I when I talked to her, she turned around and screamed in my face. What are you going to do? Last time you guys just gave me back to him. And, and this was a very big compromise of my values, trying to understand what what am I supposed to do if the institution had already not come through for you? How am I supposed to come through for the institution now? Uh, and no one had ever really prepared me for that. I didn't have the words or the understanding of how it all works to be able to explain that. Luckily, at the time, like I told you, I was able to just talk to her and let her know, I don't know what's happened to you before, but I'm here to help you. I promise you that, you know. Um, so if you have people who are having to face some very real 
existential questions uh, that affect the people around them in their life. And some of those things might have to do with, you know, harm that's being done to people. You have to be able to prepare people distinctly for making these sort of ethical choices. Um, And I think that one of the questions that I have coming out of the special operations community and having a lot of the different experiences in the Navy is how are we preparing sailors to deal with these sort of things? Um, Is it just giving them, hey, this is the textbook answer? From my experience, I think that you have to go a little bit deeper because, you know, you have to get down to why does this person believe that something is right and how the situation is being dealt with uh, in an inaccurate or possibly wrong manner. That, that becomes the crux of moral compromise and leads to moral injury, which in a lot of cases mm-hmm. is what plagues people when it comes to mental health issues. Burdened with some right. sort of weight that they're trying to get rid of, but they don't have a tool or they don't have an understanding to be able to grasp why they feel what they do. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. And that kind of leads us into um, the topic of the episode before um, Keith gets into his um, personal seat of triumph, right? So the plan is to, to talk to you guys about moral compromise and moral injury And those are terms that are kind of unfamiliar. It actually wasn't until I actually talked uh, to Keith after we both separated out of the special operations community and came back into the quote unquote regular Navy um, that he brought up those terms. And I was like, wow, you know, I never really thought about that. And I don't think a lot of us do as service members. So um, moral injury, I'll just define it for the audience is a traumatic or unusually stressful circumstance. People may perpetrate, fail to prevent, or or witness events that contradict deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. So a moral injury can occur in response to acting or witnessing behaviors that go against an individual's values and moral beliefs. Um, It also can impact somebody's spirituality, right? Because a lot of our morals come from our um, spiritual beliefs as well. And the effects of service members that have these moral injuries and compromises can, you know, have detrimental effects like, like PTSD. And a lot of the treatment that is given to service members um, with this moral injury is the same treatment that's giving uh, given to people with PTSD. And then PTSD is also a, uh, you know, very similar diagnosis. Um, like they almost go hand in hand. So it's just something that, um, that is prevalent and not just in the special operations community, right? Like you face these, these experiences when you were an MA and you brought up, you know, somebody that may have a, an air job, you know, doing something like an airman, right? Or just these people, maybe in these engineering or maintenance positions on a ship. Like, I mean, we, we signed up to serve our country, all of us as service members, right? No matter what service we're in or what rate, 
So there's that general understanding of what we're here to do. We're here to serve a country. Um, you know, we're going on these warships. It has war in their name. You know, uh, some of our a ship is one of our ships is literally called a destroyer. So there's like an inherent knowledge and expectation that we are our mission is to defeat the adversary. However, um, it's not really it. You don't really go deep into it. Um, I don't think as an MA uh, in his first tour, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you would think that you would be faced with a situation where you could potentially be putting an innocent bystander, right? Somebody's wife in harm's way, sending her back to an abusive husband or boyfriend. Like nobody prepares you for that. You don't get training for that in a school. Um, And you definitely don't say that in your oath when you swear in to serve the military. Um, so yeah, I think that there does need to be some sort of preparation, um, and just realness when it comes to these jobs that, um, we're signing up for, uh, I don't want to say a disclaimer, um, but we just have to be proactive to make sure that our service members are aware of what moral injury is and take measures to prevent it from festering and becoming a bigger issue than it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you pointing to a lot of that stuff and even kind of taking it back around to, you know, uh, kind of drawing some attention to my personal experience because, you know, I do have to tell you that I walked away from that, that situation feeling, uh, kind of, kind of shook, you know? Um, and there's, a there's actually a phenomenon within, uh, the theory about trauma it's, it's usually whenever you have uh, an abusive partner, but it's called a one-time traumatic learning experience. Um, but it's where something hits you normally so morally compromising that it strikes you so deep that the overwhelming sort of experience, emotional experience that you have from it, um, it, it literally takes you off uh, kilter, you know? You learn within that one moment. I don't ever want to feel something that terrible again. And then your brain starts to click over and go, I don't want to, I don't ever want to feel that again. So I'm going to, I'm going to catalog it and I'm going to make sure that if something starts to look or feel like that, then I'm going to do everything to avoid that. Um, Yeah. That's a trauma response. That's like, that's, that's PTSD, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so, and I did want to just throw out there, you know, um, that it, it's easy. We could sit and just pinpoint stuff all day, but I'm not just, you know, here to pinpoint. And I never am just pinpointing. One of the things that I've come up with that I think that, you know, could be an answer when it comes to how, all right, how do you prepare people for and deter these levels of moral compromise? I think that uh, the answer could be getting um, really into what is real ethics and philosophical uh, training, right? So that is actually a part of the seed to my personal triumph. Um, that's part of my story is eventually when I went to college through the Navy, I chose to major in philosophy. Um, and it was with the intent to understand what is good reasoning, what is good thinking, but why do we think the way that we do? And what... So, yeah, eventually I 
you know, went to school for philosophy and learned, you know, um, the basis for all of the history of our ethical um, foundations, right? And with that, what you end up doing is you end up learning both sides of uh, a thought or an argument, whether it means that it starts with uh, the very beginning of ethics from ancient Greece, where you had Platonic thought and Aristotelian thought, um, and then how those things evolve and what are the different uh, sides of one argument versus the other. Um, when it comes to us giving out ethics training, you know, if we're indoctrinating people with ethics, I think that we could go just a bit deeper and rather than just giving one side of, of an ethical theory, we can present to people, hey, here are the two sides uh, to, you know, ethical topics. Here are the two ways that, you know, uh, modern philosophy or ancient philosophy looked at moral issues and what you're doing then is you're equipping people to be able to make sound critical thinking decisions um, rather than just having them instead buy into something um, until they're faced with a dilemma that they don't have an answer to and then now they have to just compromise um, so you know my experience has been that whether it was a, as an ma or, you know, when we were in special operations, uh, when you just have someone follow through and say, well, it's always been this way, this is the one standard answer, a lot of times that answer doesn't suffice for all of the situations. But people are going to have to make it their individual meaning and purpose. And so we have to allow for them to be able to make uh, their own sound decisions because oftentimes we're pushing it down to them to make the decision uh, whether they keep going and believe in it or, you know, do they just falter? Right. And I think that um, I think I get what you're saying. And ethics training, um, I, I think it would be really great and important to the entire military force, especially those of us who are more prone to find ourselves in some of these um situations that would cause moral injury and and face with moral dilemmas. But I will say that, you know, what another solution could be, you know, is just for these organizations, like, and I'm talking all services, right, to just ensure that their people are made aware of the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Like, we can't mask um, these things that that we know are just bound to happen. I mean, you know, I, I think it was a sociology class that I took, um, you know, and this comes up in a, in a lot of college courses. Uh, it's like the law, the laws of war. Um, it was in a history class that I took and it's like, it, it's not pretty. Um, it comes up in an economic class that I took and it's these like power struggles where, you know, and like I said, we're the armed forces and this is what we sign up to do. And I'm not trying to negate um, what you're saying are these experiences. I, I actually agree with you. But what I'm saying is like, there's just more levels to it. Um, and we have to make sure that our, our military members, the, the force understands exactly what they're getting themselves into, and make sure that they're prepared to face, um, you know, those battles and that journey, because we can prepare them to face that or at least give them the option by being 
fully transparent into situations that they could find themselves in based off of the duties outlined in their job descriptions, you know? So one of the things that I... I was going to say one of the things that I like that the Navy is doing now, and this is fairly new, like I'm talking the last maybe one or two years um, new, is the Warrior Toughness Program. And what that what is what it essentially is, is that uh, they're, they're trying to get to building mental toughness and fortitude before the obstacles come. So they want their sailors and our, our Navy force to be prepared to handle these challenges. And while it's not ethics training, it does present a um, core mindset, you know, that has different values um, that we can all share as a force to help us get through some of these challenging times. And like I said, I, I'm not saying it's going to be the cure and it's definitely not ethics training, but it is something in the right direction, right? They're teaching this um, warrior toughness mindset to our um, new recruits that come into the Navy so that they do have this tool in their toolbox to be able to, um, you know, remain mentally tough when they're faced with these sorts of situations, whether it be moral compromised or just um, high stress. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Uh, and it also, to me, actually, is kind of getting towards ethics training. I, I don't see how that you can have a, what sounds like resiliency training is what they're offering. Um, but you can't quite have full resiliency training without it bordering on, you know, uh, having an ethical basis. And that's great. You know, uh, resiliency is another portion of what this whole thing has to do with. Um if we were to go all the way back to where we began, you know, um, arming people with ways to uh, remain resilient in the face of uh, dilemmas, struggles, stress, by giving them good options. And I do mean real options of, of how they then turn something into something good or how they channel their efforts um, is going to help the individual mostly to be able to make a choice for themselves. And I think that that's where this mm -hmm. actually needs to come to is uh, this is my personal belief. This is where I, I personally uh, felt like I've triumphed. I'm not saying that everybody can agree with it, but I believe in um, the evolution of our, our fighting force. I appreciate how much that you've made the point from the beginning of this, that, you know, we're not, in the business of, uh, you know, making cupcakes, right? Like some of the stuff that we do in the military inherently is going to be messy. Um, but I think it's important to each step of the way, have some mechanism where each individual can feel like that they're allowed to be making a choice, uh, as to their participation in that thing. Um, one of the things that I feel like, you know, was successful from the special operations uh, community is that that community is always checking you to make sure that you want to be there, right? They're always checking in a way to make sure that you still buy into it. Um, but I yeah, that's actually a really good point because, you know, in, in the special operations community, there's several, it's, it's a very intensive um, screening process, psychological screening process as well that um, people have to go through 
uh, to make sure that, that they can handle it mentally. Um, and like you said, there's several checks to make sure that you are still okay or that you still buy into the cause or that you're still ready and willing to support the mission. Yeah. And I, I'm the first one to say that it becomes difficult across, you know, the entirety of our force to be able to allow for that autonomy. Um, but I think that, you know, I think it is something that we could improve on for sure. Um, because I don't like the idea of just saying, well, you know, it sounds tough, so I don't know that we couldn't do any better. There's always room for improvement, especially since, you know, knowledge continues to you know, become greater and expand. We know that, you know, people don't operate off of the same psychological theories that they had back in the 1800s, whenever some of the first doctrine was established. Back then, people thought that, you know, behaviorism uh, was something that drove all people. So essentially you could train people like a, a dog and they would respond and such. We've progressed. We've evolved. It's not true, right? Um, so I think that we can apply a little bit more along the way to just keep making sure that, hey, are you okay to be doing what you're doing with us? Do you feel like you can keep stepping forward with us? Ethics training, you know, in a real way, like really giving people the background of how to make good moral and ethical choices um, is one step. I think that, you know, allowing ourselves to open up and see that here are these different psychological evolutions in the way that we deal with um, resiliency is another one. Um, but I, sh I shy away from the idea of just pushing people to just blind faith because I think that that's whenever people get to a place where, one, they don't feel like that they're valued. Two, they don't feel like that their opinion matters. And that's where I think that a lot of moral injury comes into play because they inherently, by being there, have to make a choice. Even if it's just as simple as to go and sit down at your desk each day and start to go through the, the paperwork that you're given, you're making a choice to be there. Um, but if you're if you're not allowing that person to understand why they're doing it because they're bogged down with so many things that they feel like have become wrong, um, then that person is going home and they're wondering why, why am I so upset? You know, what is this feeling? And, and that all goes back to, that all goes back to everybody. And, and I would encourage all of our listeners, right, to really think about what your purpose is, what your why is, and what your own individual core values are, and make sure that those align with the organization and the job that you're doing, because that's really important, really, really, really important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's, that's the part where when we teach resiliency and, um, you know, people having a deeper understanding of either topics or themselves that they should have the forum and the opportunity to then come forward and speak about it. You know, um, I think that you've done great. And this is probably one of the things I've noticed that you're driving towards uh, with this and many of your other projects is creating a space and the opportunity for uh, service members to be able to come forward and speak um, and then have leadership that also can meet them halfway and bring them along, um, whether it's through mentoring or helping them to sit down and flesh out the thoughts that they're having. Um, 
then they're not they're not sitting there feeling like I'm having to make a huge personal choice at the expense of the way that I think that I believe um, versus what I believe the institution is telling me that I have to see or believe. Um, so all the way back to the beginning, those folks who were making poor decisions and found themselves in trouble, they were operating off the assumption that the institution was telling them, this is the way that you should handle something, you know, and maybe they felt like they weren't supposed to come forward and say, Hey, something doesn't feel right about what I'm doing. Or, Hey, I don't really like the way that uh, this drains us each day. Is there a better way of doing business? And I think if, you know, more people were allowed to see behind the curtain and see how the sausage is made and sometimes that it's not pretty, then at least they can say, I'm making a personal decision to step forward and help or I'm making a personal decision to understand the dilemma, Um, but they're not struggling at home, just confused about it. Exactly. And um, I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up. just, just everything entirely because it kind of just brought everything full circle to me. And I want to point out that in every single episode that I've recorded so far, um, and it's only been, right, I think, you, you know, this is going to be my, um, you're going to be my sixth release. Um, but the common theme is that with strong support, you know, we can learn more and we can get ahead of these issues before they come problems. And not only is it is it support, but it's support from your leadership because we're all in the military and we are bound by this rank structure. And, you know, the lower in rank that you are, the more you're going to have to rely on your leadership. But even even the higher rank that you are, you still have a boss. You still have somebody that you are going to report to. And it's it's vital that you have the support from your leadership in order to get through these challenging times. And not only the support, but you have to have good examples of leadership as well to follow. Um, and they have to be informed and equipped with the right tools, knowledge, and coping mechanisms as well to to be that example. So I'm really glad that you, you know, brought that up because, you know, those those sailors who are coming home after a long day and are being encouraged, you know, to relieve their stress, how everybody else does, including their leadership, um, you know, maybe they're just misguided or confused. And, you know, I'll keep it real. Like sometimes the quick fix or an answer is to come home and have a glass of wine or a drink. Um, to deal with the stresses of the day, but it becomes unhealthy and uh, when you make it a habit. And, um, you know, alcohol, if you get into the science behind it, is actually a depressant and it, it doesn't actually cure um, what you're going through. It, it just masks it and, and it could even make it worse. So by no means am I supporting, you know, the use of alcohol as a, a coping mechanism, but sometimes that's that's all you have. And when you know, that's all you're seeing. It, it only makes sense that you think that that's right. Um, so I just wanted to say, like, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the factor uh, that leadership can play in all of this. Yeah, I, a lot of times I also have seen that leadership, you know, um, maybe they don't like to let it be known. It, it, it's unfortunate, but 
you know, everybody at every level can also sit back and see that, you know, leadership is often in a dilemma as well. You know, if you have somebody that comes down and they tell you, look, just get it done. They're probably saying that because they weren't given a very good answer to deal with it any other way. But, you know, to assume that like some human being isn't going to be able to read between the lines with that. Um, I think that you can do someone a disservice if you ask them instead to just buy into it as being a, a value of duty and faithfulness, because there's not a whole lot that someone can go home and do with that whenever they're like, why is everything so hard to get accomplished? Why is everything so clunky? You know, then you're, you're essentially asking. Very true. Go ahead. Very true. And very true. And um, that falls into like transparency. And it's actually so I I actually was um, out of the office on Friday, um, because I was able to take a leadership course, it was a civilian um, leadership course by these experts. And they went over, you know, what makes a good leader. And they talked about these um, statistics. And the biggest thing, and I feel like it's definitely worth saying in this conversation, is emotional intelligence. Um, and that's the ability to understand and be empathetic and be aware of your surroundings and be authentic and genuine to your team. And then part of that is also one of, one of the big leadership principles was uh, a shared vision. And what that means is you know, you're being transparent with your team and the people that are working for you and alongside you with, you know, what the why is, what the purpose is and how we're going to get there because a good and effective leader can't expect a blind following. So I actually had this thing that I kind of wanted to bring this back around to our story here um, because your story was so good to finally hear you know, uh, the full length of it, obviously being there with you some of the time, uh, you know, I knew some of it, but I, as I, as you know, I never really pressed, I didn't need to know, but I, I wanted to hear what you had to say. And, um, you know, I know after listening to that, that we both felt like, <clears throat> uh, even in that community where people were allowed to, to speak up and people were asked to be a vital uh, you know, contributing partner in what we were doing. There were people who were facing these dilemmas and I walked away just like you asking myself, like, what, what happened? Why did so many of us walk away and feel like something was compromised? Um, I, and when my, you say, when you say walk away, um, he's talking about walking away from the special operations community and, and going and doing something else, because oftentimes you see that um, sailors or, you know, people in the Navy who join the special operations community, they tend to stay uh, because that's kind of their specialty. But so many of us, like Keith was saying, um, actually kind of went back to the quote unquote regular Navy and... Um, you know, it kind of does pose the question, like, why? What was going on? Yeah, it, it was. It was <clears throat> exactly that. So, so many of us had gone and thought this was going to be Mecca, and this was going to be the place that we might want to stay for a period of time. And so many of us as peers, you know, at a certain point were saying, maybe this isn't the place for me. Maybe I need to go back to something else. But we were searching again for, for another answer. Um 
because because both of us and I want to bring this up, Keith. You know, both of us were very um, technically proficient at our jobs, um, and you know, received some pretty high accolades for the performance that we um, did while we were there supporting the you know various missions that we supported. So it's like it's not that it was that we weren't performing up to the expectations because we were and we were far exceeding them. It was actually our personal choice to walk away because what was going on at the time wasn't aligning with what we believed. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong. No, absolutely. I mean, um, I probably wouldn't have thrown it out there myself, but you're right. That's probably an important part of the story. Yeah, I mean, I was used more than any of our peers. Um, yeah, because so- I've heard great things about you and your work before I had even known you. And the people who have known you and worked with you, they have nothing but good things to say about your contributions to the team and to the mission. So, Thanks. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I was being used more than everybody else. But, you know, at the same time, um, there were some things that I was struggling with. And when I was working with our peer group, I found that many of them were struggling with a lot of the same things and all of them were succeeding as well. Um, you know, <clears throat> what I what I eventually found is that um, even in that open forum where people were allowed to contribute, um, what we often were struggling against was a compromise of our values based on um, the, the organization being reluctant to change, being reluctant to actually innovate because it was actually easier to just keep doing things uh, by a tested and tried method because it ensured some sort of outcome that they could measure versus stepping into some area that was kind of unknown, but it did present a a possibility of a higher value outcome. But there was no no method to measure it because it was, um, if anything, it was an actual reform or you could go so far as to say a type of uh, intellectual revolution in some some spots. So, you know, for me, looking back on it, and even during the time, you know, I found this same thing coming up again of compromising my values, knowing there's a better way that we can do this, and there's a better way that I can contribute directly to that. Um, but people not wanting to share that common vision, but not giving a really truthful, wholehearted answer um, left me going home every day asking, is this really the best place for me to put my efforts into? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, uh, thank God that I am somebody who is an independent thinker and knows who I am, but I made that choice on my own to say, okay, I'm stepping away because this doesn't align with who I am. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go do it some other place, um, which I kind of wanted to get to because as far as what my seeds are. Uh, yeah, like- let's let's jump right into that. Like, I, I believe that your um, seed of triumph has a lot of value to add to this show and our audience. So, yeah, why don't you just start from the beginning and really just tell us your story and, um, you know, how you faced adversity and ultimately triumph through it? Uh, you know, it's tough to like just put it in one story because I often look at it and see that there's been so many different um, ways in which that I've had to struggle as all of us do. 
Um, mm -hmm. There's been so many different lanes that I can look back and see triumph. Um, but what, what I found was important to this day is that um, I think that I had to have uh, an alignment of something that was physical as a seed of triumph. I had, I had to have something that was mental as a seed of triumph. And then I had to keep hold of something that was spiritual. Um, so, you know, what I've done through the years is luckily whenever I was younger, I came into martial arts in my late teenage years and martial arts has always been some way that I could fall back on, um, after work and just go and stay focused and express my frustrations through that actual physical exercise. Um, and there's this inherent connection between mind and body. We all know, you know, when you throw yourself into something like that and uh, you can get your frustrations out in a positive way, then it has its effect on the way that you mentally will process what it is you're dealing with. Um, so physically, that's what I did. Um, it gave me a grounding. It gave me a discipline and it gave me a methodology Um for how to get through whatever was bothering me and the way that I was feeling it. Um, the second part to that was, as I mentioned, I took up the discipline of learning philosophy for the mental aspect of um, how to succeed in times of testing and struggle. And whenever, you know, I've had a really hard decision that I have to make or face with some sort of really hard um, topic, I fall back on the rigors of, you know, philosophical thought. And that helps me to see a number of sides of things um, so that I know that I'm balanced and I can feel good about the choices that I'm making. But I have a reason as to why I'm making the decision and why I have the beliefs that I do. And then the final piece uh, has been that I've always tried to stay connected to something spiritual. Um, you know, I believe that truth is truth, and that's found in all kinds of different places um, throughout religion and the world. But I think that it's important to have a connection to spirituality because there's, there's things in life that you're going to be faced with that only um, can be faced with hope and faith. And faith is, you know, uh, belief in things that are unseen for no apparent reason other than to believe that something is right. And that's kept me grounded and guided um, the decisions that I make because it, it helps me come to peace inside of my own heart. Um, so my overall seed of triumph that I would have to say is trying to find some way to align myself physically, mentally, and spiritually um, to take care of the different pieces of who I am regardless of what the world or the Navy or an institution or a group of people tell me um, so that I can know who I am. Um, and I think that that's the important thing when it comes to maintaining one's wellness and your, um, your overall mental health is that you have to really know yourself and you have to be able to say, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to give to the world. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you broke it down like that. Um, because I think that's the first time, you know, I've kind of heard it broken down 
I guess, these coping mechanisms that you use, right, in the physical, mental, and spiritual realm. And it's awesome that you found something in all three of those realms that you could use to support yourself and actually find who you are, you know, strengthen who you are and remain confident in that. And I think that's so important. And a lot of us get lost in, you know, the organization and because of how big it is and, you know, what it expects from us. And if you're somebody like me, right, I joined the Navy right after high school. And so I was still very young and, you know, developing, I would even call myself naive. So a lot of the things that I've had to learn were definitely on my own. And I didn't really know who I was until I found myself in these challenges and these challenging times. And I kind of had to figure it out. So um, not all of us have to experience those challenging times to figure it out. Um, You know, if we really do some deep thinking within ourselves and think about, you know, our morals and our moral compass and and our purpose and what we believe and what we want to contribute to this world, we can start strengthening ourselves and our mind um, to really just, you know, become resilient before we have to face these problems. Yeah, I'm, I, I was actually reminded of um, this seed that was given to me a long time ago, and I'm sort of nostalgic, and I appreciate this. Um, it was like 2005, and I was at this expeditionary unit, and we, we were going through a certification process um, to actually establish the command. So we all became plank owners uh, after this, but... You know, it was a hard time because this certification to establish this new expeditionary group was something that the Navy really hadn't done before. So they didn't have a model. And we were going through all these exercises and all these trainings. And it was just up and down. And it felt like no one really had a vision. And I was sitting on the bus getting ready to go to the range. And I think I was kind of like uh, in a pissy mood. And I just, you know, succumbed to saying something uh, that was probably like a cry for help, but it was an expression of my frustration. And I was like, yeah, the thing is, the Navy doesn't, you know, want you to think. And I had a BM1 um, who actually very quickly and confidently said, hey, shipmate, you know, you're wrong about that. The Navy wants you to be a thinking person. The Navy wants you to make a decision every step of the way. Um, as to what the right thing is for you to do. And they pay you to think like that. And, you know, whether he came through and gave me the full explanation of what that really meant, it resonated so much because I felt like he saw me where I was. Um, And he saw that he needed to inspire me and let me know that it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to have all of these thoughts. And if you know, I wanted to, I think he offered, he offered the forum to be able to come forward and express that with him. But up front, he wanted to validate the need that I had, which is to feel like I was honored, respected, and that I had the ability, no matter what anyone told me, to actually keep thinking through the problem. Um, so I, I've always just thought back, wow, you know, like uh, a bosun's mate. A bosun's mate told me that. Um, and mm-hmm. I felt proud knowing that that guy gave me something that the institution 
didn't necessarily tell him that's how he needed to do it, but it was personal. Does that make sense? It, it, yeah, it does make sense. It sounds like you had a really good leader and support um, behind you in that trying time. And and that's why I keep saying and emphasizing this point. It's like leadership and support is, is really the catalyst to a strong, successful, resilient force. Um, and it can really help eliminate some of these um, mental health struggles that a lot of our service members face. Oh, um, yeah. You're, and, when, sorry. Go ahead. You're, when you told your story, I just, I was, I was keying into when you talked about not having people there to, you know, guide you uh, and support you and lead you along the way. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it just resonated with me a lot, knowing that particularly when we were together in special operations, like there were so many times that I felt like that people didn't see where I was um, or people mm-hmm. didn't come and help me to understand uh, what just happened or what to do next. And <clears throat> I've made it a personal point now to, to always acknowledge when there is someone that's stepping forward um, to give you that, to lead you. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that more than being intrusive, it needs to just be that you have somebody who is trying to understand where people are. And meet exactly. Them. Like I said, that's one of the foundations of a successful leader. And statistics show that the most successful and influential leaders are those that are that have the highest emotional intelligence. And when you're able to relate and um, with, you know with your people and just listen to them and validate their feelings, that is emotional intelligence. So like I said, I can't stress enough how important it is for all of us, whether you're in a leadership position or not. That emotional intelligence is going to carry this force to, to triumph. Yeah, I'm. Um, so as you know, I'm I'm part of some other men's groups outside of the military, and one of the things that we often promote is that, um, you know, we as a tribe would try to you know carry the burdens together, and mm-hmm. here in Hawaii, in the men's group we often say like, Hey, we're all in this canoe together. So the pain, the struggle and the suffering that we pick up as we're paddling, we're all carrying and doing it together. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. And I, I think that that really is one of the best um, sort of antiseptics, but also maybe one of the um, ways to reduce moral compromise is if you have someone who's there with you that can say, hey, I identify with the dilemma that you're struggling with. I identify with the choice that you're having to make daily and you're not alone. And in fact, you know what? It's not something that we need to push down to you individually. It's something that I need to help you pick up. Um, You may not be able to actually do anything to, to change the dilemma, but if you can be there with that person and they feel like they're not alone, that can mm-hmm. do wonders for someone and open up their mental state so that they're not just stuck in the same place um, going over in their head, trying to figure out what is this thing that I can't make sense of. 
And it, it's exactly. And a lot of us, I feel like suppress these feelings and emotions because we think that that's the right thing to do or, you know, because we have to be quote unquote strong because we're in the military. And honestly, I'm so thankful for you and every other guest that has been on this show and has agreed to um, share their story with me. It, it takes a lot of bravery and it takes a lot of vulnerability to admit these struggles that we have had to everybody, but it's so powerful. And that's why I wanted to create this platform, right? To be able to share that and to be on the receiving end of it saying, oh man, I'm not the only one, you know, like that was completely normal for me to feel like that. And to just validate, you know, that person's feelings or to have your own feelings validate. It's, it's so great and important and it, it acts as a support system to just know that, you know, hey, somebody else has been there and they got through it and I can get through it too. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I am so proud of you for taking the step forward after everything that we've been through together to not just learn from the, the things that we've experienced, but then try to find this way that you can pay it forward and that you mm-hmm. can give it back. Um, to me, that's what that's what it really is kind of about in, in spiritual terms, you know, when you realize that you've been through a struggle because it's exposing the gift that you have, that gift is something that you're supposed to be giving back to the people. And I mm-hmm. think that this is an opportunity for all of us to, to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And in a way that we often don't get to in the office or inside of our normal culture, Right. But it would be a great way to inject it into the normal way that our culture starts to operate. Yep, exactly. And, you know, something that I wanted to say before, so I'm just going to kind of circle back um, when you were giving your coping mechanisms and the way that you triumph through many of the hardships that you faced while you were in the military. Um, one of them was, you know, mentally, right? You said that you studied philosophy. And I really related to that because I didn't necessarily study philosophy, but for the first time in my entire life, right? And when I went through the experiences that I went through, I had never felt that way before. Um, I was never depressed. I was never anxious. I'd never had a panic attack. And so I didn't really know how to deal with that. And I found myself wondering why, like, why am I feeling like this? Why is this happening to me? I need to understand what it is. And so what I did um, immediately was I found a book. I really do. I love reading, um, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. <laughs> I just love absorbing. <laughs> I just love absorbing knowledge. So, so I went and I found a few books, actually. But one book um, I want to point out, and it still resonates with me. It's one of my favorite books. Um, <laughs> it's called Un-F-U-C-K, Your Brain, right? Yeah. The author yeah. is Faith Harper. Uh, yeah. Have you read that book? I've not only read that book, but I have her entire series on Audible for all of the Oh, see, that's awesome. Yeah. So when I was in the thick of it, right, and the the lowest of my lows, and I was first experiencing these like challenging, new, crazy feelings of like depression, um, I wanted to understand why. So I picked up her book and it was a very light, short, easy read. And the her her prose and the way that she um wrote was very relatable, I think, to myself and just anyone in the military, right? She's uh, very forthcoming with her uh, language and vulgarity and just this, 
just it, it, it's just it yeah, was an she awesome read. It, it was very she easy. Just lays it out there, you know exactly. And and what the book essentially was about was just how the human mind works, how the brain works, and how it responds to trauma in certain situations. And so just being able to pinpoint the exact reason that I was feeling the way that I was feeling from a scientific standpoint, from a logical standpoint, it helped me so much because I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is normal. I'm not crazy. I'm going to be okay. I just need to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. So for our listeners, right, I would encourage you to, if, if you find yourself in a position where you don't understand why you're feeling how you're feeling, pick up a book or that book in particular and really really dig deep and try to understand where these feelings and emotions are coming from because it's 100% natural and logical. Yeah. That, you know what? That's a perfect way to kind of like bridge the gap for understanding here. Like my experience was philosophy, right? But we could just substitute, like you're saying, um, knowledge as the word that we should use here. Knowledge is the key to the empowerment when it comes to the mental aspect of processing what we deal with on a daily basis, whether it's happiness or whether it's sadness, struggle or triumph. Um, you have to keep putting stuff into your brain for your brain to, to attach to, um, especially if you're stuck. So I think you, you put it in perfect terms that as far as taking care of your mental health, um, you know, keep giving yourself knowledge uh, of any type. And I'll just make the plug that you know, all knowledge is based in, in some theory of philosophy. Philosophy is actually just the background by which that we've used in Western culture to actually formulate thought. So all schools of thought, the ology on all things is actually the philosophy of, but people just need knowledge, you know, they need mm -hmm. information. And that, that takes care of that one aspect of us being three-part beings, mind, body, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just I want to go back to um, our major topic here of moral compromise. And I know I did in the beginning, right, outline the definition, but I wanted to kind of paint a picture um, for our audience as far as like what you and I um, have gone through when it comes to moral compromise in the special operations community. And, you know, <laughs> this might sound a little cliche, but it is real. Um, it, this is a very popular movie. Uh, it's the American Sniper movie with Bradley Cooper and the opening scene. Um, you know, he is a operator, he has a gun and he's out there in, in the desert, you know, um, and he has this gun pointed at a child, um, in the middle East. And it kind of paints this picture and gives the audience this feeling of like, wow, this is wrong. Um, am I going to shoot this kid, you know, because we're at war in the Middle East and, you know, we're, we're taking out this enemy, but here is this, this child in the way. And we all know that it would be wrong to, um, shoot this kid, but he, he found himself in this situation. And, uh, I, I really just kind of want to paint that picture for the audience because I, I think that's a really perfect, uh, descriptor from something that we can all relate to that we've seen on the big screen of how real um, this moral compromise is. 
for our military. And, and, you know, now while Keith and I were not, you know, behind a rifle, you know, in the desert, we were faced with some situations where we didn't necessarily agree with what was happening. So yeah, what do you think about that? No, I, I think that that is a beautiful, um, you know, way to go ahead and bring that around for anybody listening to paint the picture, uh, speak as a metaphor. Um, yeah, because uh, that that individual, um, you know, ultimately probably had to go back home and no matter what anybody told him, he was going to have to make uh, it right as far as far as like, why was it the right mm-hmm. decision to do whatever it was that he chose to do? Um, you know, it was a moral and philosophical thing that only he was faced with. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that every one of us on every level in the military has to deal with something like this. And, you know, I don't exactly, I don't think that it's a, an, any way insulting to say that you know there is uh you know someone that's working uh let's say an administrative job um you know who isn't faced with some sort of really really difficult decision uh like that that affects people's lives what's the right thing you know yep and that's why it's so important like you said to be in tune with your mind body and soul know who you are, be comfortable with who you are and ask the questions why. It's okay to ask why. It's okay to challenge decisions because at the end of the day, it's you who has to live with yourself. So if you need to seek therapy for any situations that you've been in, seek therapy. Don't be scared of the outcome. You know, uh, the, the military is temporary. It's so temporary, but your mind, body, and soul, that's forever. You have to live with that. So I just want to encourage and empower everybody out there to stick up for yourself, to know who you are, and be comfortable and feel empowered to ask the hard questions why. And if you need, if you find yourself disagreeing and you need to get out of a certain situation, then then pursue whatever avenue that you have to get to get out of those situations. I wanted to add to it that, you know, something that I've, I've talked to people about through the years that we all have to kind of come to terms with is um, there's no fault here, but you know, when, when we all went through boot camp, we all learned a new set of values. We learned a new Mm -hmm. way of operating. Now, right. The Navy has its own core values, right? Honor, courage, commitment, and having common values is very important to the success of an organization. Yeah. And we learned this way of now adhering to what we believe was not only a new set of values, but a higher set of values. And we learned a common operating picture, right? We learned a common SOP of the way that we fulfill those things. But if we were really honest, I think that most of us could say that we transition out of boot camp and we show up to our tech school or our first command, and then things aren't really operating at the efficiency or even at the 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 values that we now felt like we had transcended to, right? It it was not the way that it looked in boot camp. And so as we made this transition, I think that there is a potential for a lot of the experience that service members have is where initially they come in and they're given a new set of standards 
but in a lot of ways they may not ever actually transcend and, be, and start living at a higher set of standards they actually are just introduced and then swapped another set of standards but the the question is when do you rise to that higher way of operating um if you're lucky you have a good chain of command and you have a great mission and a unit that does drive you towards that but there's a key individual piece that i think that we all have to endeavor to make personal where you truly take on trying to figure out what is true honor courage commitment to me you know it's not just something that you can say well i've taken it on because i went through this experience now you have to pursue it and you have to make it your own um and that requires going through and finding the knowledge to to you know discern okay what is true courage to me there's so many different expressions of it um and then being able to see that expression, you can find the opportunities and you can find the the positivity in each day versus whenever you see something that doesn't live up to what the standard we've been taught is, uh, you can combat it and you can negate saying, okay, just because that looks negative, it doesn't mean it is. Um, instead, it's truly finding your personal place within the whole thing. Um, but you have to be active, you know, can't just assume that it's going to be something that's given to you or you're pushed to. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's well, Keith, your seed to success and triumph. Um, yeah. that's what I took away from your story actually is that no matter what you endeavored to keep at it and make it your personal experience, your personal reason um, for keeping going. And that's what it's been for me as well. And yeah. I'm actually always very thankful for the service that I've had, for the, the struggles that I've been through. Um, and I'll yep. always cherish that, you know, because it's, it's cliche to say, but it's kind of burns the fat off your soul. Um, right. It, it is. And, I, you know, a lot of people might think it's like masochistic of us, right, to be like, you know, I wouldn't change a thing, the hard times that I went through. But tr really and truly, um, and myself and you're not, I think almost everyone that I've talked to who has faced, you know, these sorts of hardships, they wouldn't change it for a thing because these experiences, they, they, they're what made us into the people that we are today. And the person that I am today is a very different person than I was before I experienced my adversity, but I am so much better for it. And I have found a purpose out of it. And, you know, that purpose is always going to be to help people. And um, like I said, I'm so thankful for yeah, it. Yeah, you. So. Yeah, you. I, I can personally say this having been there with you. And I told you, I remember when you first showed up and you kind of talked about this in your podcast that, you know, when I first met you, I remember thinking I'm such a sweet, you know, and sincere girl. Right. I, I remember seeing you were so bright eyed and eager. I remember seeing you through the years. Right. And I knew that there were things that you were struggling with. I know when we first reconnected this last year that we both. Yeah, you met me. 
right before my first deployment when I had really not experienced any hardships. I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to take on whatever life threw at me. (laughs) Yeah, and I remember cherishing that person that I met at that time and knowing, you know what, she's going to be great whenever she goes through everything. I hated it that you were going to have to go through some of what you did, but I'm so thankful and grateful and blessed that you have come around and come back into my life and we reconnected and we were able to work through things together this last year. And I just am getting to the point to say, yeah, I mean, the person that you've become now after everything is amazing, strong, and you're just giving it to other people and you're a great person for it. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Thanks again for always being there listening to me. Um, you know, you've been there just as much, even whenever I was pontificating, if I was giving knowledge, I was also getting my frustration out. And this feels great to be able to bring it around to a place that, you know, I can also give back uh, through the things that I've learned. And I hope that there's people yeah. that are out there that get something. And if anybody, you know, resonates with it, they can please come and talk to me and we'll talk through it on a very personal level, you know. Yeah, no, I I really appreciate that. And you have a lot to provide. And I know that this episode and your story and the fact that you have brought up, you know, this issue of moral injury and moral compromise will resonate with our with a lot of our service members, because it's something that we inevitably all will deal with. Um, And like you mentioned, and I think this is one of the most important um, pieces of advice is just knowing who you are and really honing into that mind, body, and soul piece. So yeah, thank you so much for um, being a guest on the show and again, sharing your vulnerability. And um, I'm so excited for what the future holds for you. You're about to retire from the Navy and start your new journey. So (laughs) I know I I would end it with this, you know, I, I just did you know, similar to the way that you started off and opened up with a definition of moral injury. You know, I wanted to close with some of the things that, uh, you know, fundamentally are used whenever healing moral injury and just provide that at the end for those uh, that may identify with this. And I think it kind of resonates on the same things that we've talked about, but it roughly the ways that you deal with moral injury and compromises approach that's focused on self-forgiveness, acceptance, um, self-compassion, and if possible, making amends with uh, those things that have either caused you the pain or the trauma or, you know, those situations that you can't shore up, but just making amends with what you can make a difference about and leaving the rest because it's not your thing to deal with. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, that's a really good point. And I just, I want to let our audience know that this is not the last time that we're going to have you on the show. Um, there's so much more that Keith has to offer and provide to you guys. Like, um, I, he, he has this way of like venturing into these um, unique um, like groups and these niches and just these different hobbies and this like dimension of wellness and spirituality that I think um, some people can relate to. And so I'll have him back on the show to really just go into and describe in depth the the different um, 
spiritual avenues that he's taken and the different um, coping mechanisms that he uses and the different groups that he's met. And I just think that it, it'll be a great, great thing. So yeah, I look forward to it. You're going to hear from him. <laughs> yeah. Again, thanks so much. Uh, so as we close, um, you know, thank you for what you're doing for everybody. Of course. I'm happy to do it. All right. Well, with that, that's the end of the episode. Thanks again, Keith. Yeah, thank you. Keith is so great. I'm so glad that he came on the show to talk with us. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. As always, if you're struggling with your mental health and you would like some additional resources, please check out the episode description and click the link for a list of resources that you can use to get help. Also, if you want to contact us for anything or get in contact with Keith or any of our other guests in the episodes, please contact the podcast at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and we will see you guys next week. Have a good one. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government agency. They are strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.